Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. In the invisible enemy, Black Fox. Reporter Doreen Valentine discovers the horrific truth regarding the Strategic Offensive Reduction Treaty, a critical peace agreement between the former Soviet Union and the United States. One side is cheating. And even worse, the cheating side holds the ultimate trump card. Brutally trained from birth to live, talk, and think like Americans, foreign powers have constructed the most dangerous network of secret operatives ever known. Created for the ultimate trinity, intelligence, espionage, and warfare. This dynamic organization has been planted on U.S. soil long ago by former KGB to retrieve information at any cost, cause political catastrophe, or kill 
on a moment's notice. Now they're out of control, striking fear into the heart of the Pentagon. The Central Intelligence Agency assembles a powerful team of assassins that do not exist in an attempt to terminate an enemy that cannot be caught by any traditional methods. The Invisible Enemy grabs the reader by the arm and casts them deep into furious depths of intense warfare, awesome espionage, and unpredictable deceit, where there is a frightful undercover agenda that even the operatives themselves are not aware of. Anthony R. Howard, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Very glad to be here. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank, thank you. you. And, you know, and um, your your show is, I have to think, is going to be different than any other show I've ever done because you're an author, but you've also mixed a lot of factual information into your um, book. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a little afraid at this point <laughs> to what we're <laughs> going to talk about because uh, you talk about some really heavy stuff and espionage and, um, you know, spies, CIA and covert operations. All that's pretty scary stuff to me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, how you got this idea for this novel you wrote, The Invisible Enemy. So I wrote the book that I always wanted to read. So I've been reading spy novels since I was in the sixth grade, and uh, they excited me. And I you know, I thought to myself always, I wonder why nobody wrote a book pulling real technology and what's, and what's going on, and, and I wonder why nobody did X, Y, and Z. So I wrote the book that, that I always wanted to read, but no one has ever written, so I wrote it. So I have a deep background with the Department of Defense and Technology, Worked on a lot of projects for Desert Storm and quite a few other programs worldwide that saved American lives and won awards and uh, case studies were published on my solutions. But um, more importantly than that is, uh, in addition to the years of research and personal interviews I did for the book, Counterintelligence, I didn't get my information from an encyclopedia. I got it from job experience and put that in a, in a book that you know not only does it a riveting story, but actually teaches the reader about government agencies that they don't know about that exist, about technology they don't know about that exists. And it's, it's very deep, and it pulls you into a world that, that is, you know, behind the curtains. So it's it's a world that's here now, today, but it's just a world you don't know about. And that's what uh, most books do not do, right? They, they make stuff up, and Hollywood makes stuff up. I don't need to make anything up because technology is fascinating, and what's going on behind the scenes is already very fascinating. Right. And one of the things that you touch on is the capture of Osama bin Laden and some of the technology and um, how the White House was able to get real-time information as this um, mission was taking place. Tell us a little bit about that. So, actually, I work on similar projects. So, even more importantly than uh, sending the real-time updates, it was what the media wasn't saying about technology that really was more interesting, and that's the absence of technology because no one – the media really didn't go into how we found him, right? They made mm -hmm. it sound like we, we had some um, – well, we talked to somebody who was who was in, um, in prison in Guantanamo Bay, and they gave us, you know, some of the location. That's, that's not the whole truth. So, yes, that, you know, through interviews from detainees, they were able to link 
to been one of Bin Laden's couriers because he's not on Facebook and email and all that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, he runs his messages back through couriers. They were able to find one of his couriers to Pakistan, and they found where Bin Laden was in Pakistan through technology, but it was more the absence of technology, meaning he was in a million-dollar compound. And I know it looked raggedy on TV, but, you know, it was an expensive compound. And in mm-hmm. the compound, there was no home phone line and no Internet. Mm-hmm. And that immediately raised flags. Right. So that was number one. Um, they, though technology has, you know, come to amazing heights, it's also a red flag those who aren't self-surveilling themselves on uh, with home phone lines and have adopted to stay under the radar, that's actually now a red flag. So that was pretty interesting the way they kind of did reverse technology. And then back mm-hmm. to your original question with how do you get real-time updates? How do they change the weapons to upgrade them for this uh, project? How do you use the stealth helicopters? So technology is, is really amazing. So in order to get the real-time updates, they actually have – uh, cameras and things, and secure lines where you can actually have live video feed to the Situation Room in the right House. So that's actually uh, not new technology, uh, same technology that, that, you know, just an advanced version that you and I might use for video conferencing, but they have uh, advanced simulations to train for these events, and then they have the actual live feeds where you can have a, a soldier can have a, a camera on his helmet and get real-time decisions and update depending on what's going on. So, right. Now, now we, all of us have seen, you know, satellite, and we, we see our news commentators on television, and there's always that delay, that awkward pause back and forth between the two of them. But what, what you're talking about is something that's more succinct, back and forth, right? Yeah, they're, they're correct. There's always going to be a, a smaller delay, right, because it does take time for the feed. But we're talking about something that's so sharp and so clear that, mm-hmm. you know, the soldier's going to be trained anyway on what decisions to make. And then for those where there is time to, to bring that feedback, then the soldier can give an, up, uh, an update or receive a decision from his commanding officers. Wow. Now, tell us a little bit, too, um, just to – we're going to talk about your book in a second, but I want to give people a little bit more background about you. Um, I, I read up on you and found out that you are uh, one of those premier uh, IT gurus out there is what we call you guys. And um, you've won a number of awards and um, you, you just, I think, have a different way of thinking about um, problems as well that helps you to be able to do your job so well. And just tell us a little bit about some of the accolades that you've received. Uh, so I, pri- I won um, 2011. I was named the number one IT superhero by uh, InfoWorld and Computer World. InfoWorld is, is basically the Wall Street Journal of the IT world, information technology world. So that's right. probably one of my proudest achievements. I also won um, awards from the government for FOSSI, which is the, the largest um, technology conference for the new uh, government. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Best New Computer Award, uh, excuse me, Best New Computer Technology Award. Uh, also, some major projects I've worked on uh, hit Fox News. It was a government army simulation that I'm working on. And mm-hmm. that is kind of so soldiers can be in similar simulated environments and make their mistakes there instead of making them over in Afghanistan and Iraq. So, literally, 
it is a, I don't want to oversimplify it and call it a big video game, but literally it's a virtual world. Mm-hmm. You can have these tanks, any weapon you want. Mm-hmm. Soldiers put on, you know, their camouflage gear and have weapons and cameras and look through uh, sites, and then the simulation will bring them to land, sea, or air. And they can enter combat, real-life combat, with their, you know, with simulated enemies and tanks and whatever weapons they want to put in there and go to battle there and, and learn how to sweep rooms and go into urban and, you know, dangerous urban environments or go into open field combat. And, you know, from the weapons to how the tanks move to how the soldiers move is very simulated carefully to simulate, you know, real wartime events. So that way you can train soldiers in a real-time environment and learn, you know, development opportunities. So when they go over to the battle, uh, they're crisp. Uh, another project is a team with NASA and Google to put uh, satellites in the sky for what's now called Google Earth. I'm not sure if uh, you're familiar right. with Google Earth. Use it every satellites day. Satellites in the sky, you know, we can actually go and, Michael, we can look over your house with the satellite, mm-hmm. zoom in, you know, see your car in the driveway. And on some streets, we can actually go and walk up and down your street, look at your house then turn around, look at your neighbor's house, walk up a block, you know, walk where we want to the highway without even leaving our PC. So yeah. those are some of the I've worked on, um, you know, great projects, you know, cloud computing. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. And yeah, like yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because I've, I've gotten pictures of the Google Earth guy actually with his cameras and his rig and his car twice. It seems like every time this guy's in our area, I happen to run into him, and I take a bunch of pictures. And I made a big deal about that. And, you know, I didn't get much of a response, but, you know, whenever I do and use navigation, and I really want to find out exactly where I'm going, I use Google Earth so that I can actually go to the neighborhood and look around and see the landmarks and see things a little differently because, you know, you know, it's not as accurate once you get to the actual address to be able to help you to find what you're looking for. But it's always good to be able to take a look around first. Now, you, you're saying that with Google Earth, and that's a public technology. So what's out there that we don't know about? Uh, I can't tell you everything, but I can tell you <laughs> with... Uh, well, don't tell no, me anything that somebody has to come look for me. You know, definitely not. We, we won't show it on uh, next week, too, so we won't talk about everything. <laughs> Uh, I will tell you that uh, some of the technology, especially the stealth technology, is being worked on, mm-hmm. and the social networking technology with the with the mobile apps. Uh, we are in a new generation or era of surveillance, and a lot of folks are using these technologies for profit. So, let's for example, how would you feel if if you received a random text message in New York with uh, something that you like to do. So let's say there was a, a you like to go to the theater, and you received a random text message in New York about uh, a play. And you would be spooked, like, wow, who's, who would send me a text message about a play? It would be automated. But that's because your phone, you know, and very soon your phone is going to store your browsing habits online. And it's going to send those browsing habits to a database to analyze those browsing habits and create a psychological profile on you, where you like to go, when you like to go there, what you like to buy, what you buy on impulse, 
When do you buy it? And based on the psychological profile, this will, they'll send you text messages. So if you are, they can you tell by your phone you're in New York, then companies can send you impulse text messages. You know, get twenty dollars off on such and such tickets, or if someone mm. likes clothes and they're right. in a uh, buy a clothing store that has a great sale, their phone will automatically get a text message. So a whole new level of capitalism and storing data. Now, some folks say, wait, this is a violation of my privacy. Yeah, and yeah. I like the way you put it. You, you say psychological profile, but if you were to ask any of those companies that use that data, they would only say it's marketing data. Correct. They, they would say that what it is is it's a psychological profile they're building on you, and it's going to load. They're going to use that data in your phone against your wishes, or, or you know, without your permission, to send you ads. Some you may want, some you may not want. But uh, that's where we're headed. And I said, "Wow, you know, can you imagine your phone being overrun with text? I mean, we already get spam and email and pop-ups in our computer. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to lead to our phone based on where we are, our shopping habits, and mm-hmm. our browsing." So right. that is pretty new technology that that uh, is not really out yet, and I think it'll it'll be a problem because what if the data that those companies store gets into is sold or you know given to others? So that's mm-hmm. another thing that uh, mm-hmm. folks are, are going to be up in arms over pretty soon. But uh, well, some of this was actually of- used this Christmas. Um, I, I heard about shoppers that were at the mall and got texts from certain. Um, you know, big box stores and large department stores telling them about specials that were going on that um, they only would know about because of them being registered with them and this company having their email. But they knew that they were in that perimeter at that time and sent them that information to sort of drive traffic into their department store. So That is the icing on the cake. And little things like that are going on. Even they have um, stuff they can send to your phone. You can scan it in with your phone and get different sales. Uh, And it will escalate to the level of, you know, being tracked and receiving based on your location, the psychological profile that they build over time. And as the years go on and and the analyzation gets even more sharper, be able to, to tailor your behavior and predict things that you'll want before you want them to capitalize on uh, what they call impulse buys, kind of like mm-hmm. why the grocery have candy up by the register to try and get the impulse buy. They're going to send you text messages trying to get impulse buys. So it's a um, oh, crazy world we're living in. You know, what really bothers me, and this is what's the scary part for me, uh, I've got, um, you know, I love smartphones. I've been using um, PDAs, man, since the early 80s. I mean, early 80s. I'm a a tech freak. Uh, I got to admit, that's my confession. But, you know, I'm worried that there's some technology out there that can um, activate the camera on my phone without me knowing it. Oh, that's here already. (laughs) See? (laughs) There is there's technology that can activate your their camera phone or well, your uh, PC camera on your laptop. If you have a laptop. There's software out there where you can turn that um, camera on and off without the user even knowing. Right. Uh, or out there that can actually record while mm-hmm. cell phone is off. Um, there's encryption out there to where if a smart 
thief was able to take your laptop and he knows that there might be a tracking device in your laptop because low, low jacks do exist, for, especially for folks who want to protect their data, uh, government and military installation with top secret data on there. There's actually technology now where they can put something not just in the laptop, but let's say I took the hard drive out because I won the data and I threw the laptop in a river. If I try and hook that laptop to a different machine or to any kind of device to read that data, the hard drive by itself will send a signal locating itself. Will send a signal to the database locating the hard drive itself. So mm. the computer is gone, but the physical device that, that holds the data will actually send the, that one piece will send a help call. So that's pretty. I mean, that's where we are in technology now. It's pretty, um, pretty cool, pretty riveting stuff. Because ten years ago, it certainly wasn't around, but. Uh, now we are now in the uh, astounding collaboration age. <laughs> All right. So we want to talk a little bit about your book, um, The Invisible Enemy. And there's two versions. There's Black Fox and then there's Vendetta, correct? That's right. Uh, the first Black Fox um, was a bestseller that came out in about 2010. And then the Vendetta, the in Invisible Enemy Black Fox 2, Vendetta is the uh, sequel. That's also doing very well. Um Folks tell me they enjoy the sequel even more after they've read the first book because the, the first book is um, is just a roller coaster ride. But with the second book, you know, the, the table's already set. So in Invisible Enemy 2, uh, Vendetta, you know, I don't have to go over the spies or the character or the technology is deep because I've already done that, and it's just off to the races. It's, it's nonstop uh, action. Won't be able to put it down. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, how real are these secret groups that you talk about who are trained to go after um, the spies that we have here that are on um, our soil? It is so real. Not only is it the realest thing that is on the market now in terms of what's really going on, but one of the reasons it became a national bestseller is because it was so real and putting the, the technology in the in the um government agencies in there that the civilians aren't haven't heard of before. What I wrote actually came to fruition very soon after oh, I wrote it. Really? The spies that I had wrote about the FBI actually caught. So in two thousand ten the FBI caught a group of spies that I had written about. And the way they were trained, the way they were recruited were the same. Some of the names were exactly the same. Some of the physical descriptions were exactly the same. The encryption protocols, uh, the secret societies, the organized crime, uh, the agendas of these spies were the same. And the organizational structure of the organization was exactly the same. So I caught a lot of national attention because folks were like, well, wait a minute. This stuff is that real? This is, I mean, it's on, it's in the news. So it kind of brought people out of their comfort zone. They thought it was just an interesting book until, you know, the FBI, a couple months after the book came out, actually caught this ring of spies. So it's very real. Uh, nothing you can read and then just forget about. You'll, you'll, you'll say to yourself, are you serious? Does, does this stuff really go on? Does this technology really exist? Well, how come I haven't heard of these 
organizations with billion dollar budgets. I mean, what's going on? So you'll you'll learn a lot of you you'll want to Google different topics after you finish reading them. Uh, actually, before you finish reading, you'll just be that you'll be that uh, intrigued. Wow. And um and the second um part of that um how soon after you wrote the first book did you write the second? Uh the first book I wrote uh so let's let's go back a little bit because I wrote both books were finished when I put out the first book. Oh. And the first book did very well. And I, I decided to put the second book out a little bit earlier. So I had actually finished both of them before I even put out the first book. They were both done and, you know, by demand. So actually I put the second book out six months after the first one because when the spies hit the news and uh, the book became a national bestseller, folks, you know, wanted the sequel. So I said, well, why wait? So I put it available on my website. And uh, I made it available through Barnes and Nobles and Amazon, and through those distributors, you know, the readers who wanted them were able to able to get it. So it was uh, not too long actually. So still in 2010, the sequel was I gave it a soft launch, right? No kind of marketing activities around it, but just for those readers who really wanted it, you know, you got to give the people what they want. So right, uh, right. <laughs> so not very long after the first book out, I, I ended up putting the sequel out. And I'm uh, very glad I did, actually. Now, how, now, how long did you have to think about whether or not you would try to find a publisher or just publish on your own? Uh, I was first traditionally published. I see. And I realized that was a mistake. I took me nine years to get a book deal. Hmm. And when I got a book deal... Michael, it was garbage. I mean, it was one of those, you know, should night death row contracts. It was really, <laughs> I mean, it was really, and I know it doesn't make sense for folks to say, well, wait a minute, how, you know, you're the author, you know, how is a book deal bad? So, for instance, if I do a book signing at Barnes and & Nobles and, you know, I market the event, do a good job market it, bring people out, 200 people come out, Let's say half of them actually purchase a book from Barnes and Nobles, and I sign a book. So that's a hundred books that Barnes and Nobles sold. Michael, do you know how much actual revenue that I would see? Zero. 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 Hmm. Barnes and Nobles gets paid. Barnes and Nobles distributor gets paid. Um, my publisher gets paid. The printing presses get paid. And then maybe in 90 days, I might see a royalty check for a very paltry amount, you know, hmm. um, maybe maybe $100 or so. And I was the one that was there all day. I wrote the book. I was the one that, that uh, was there all day, had to pay for my own lunch and travel costs. And the cash registers were ringing all day. And, uh, you know, that's just that's just the game. Wow. When you go to an independent publisher or a small publisher or you self-publish, um, it's a, it's a different story, right? Especially if you're dealing with an independent bookstore. I don't have anything against Barnes and Noble, right? They are a very reputable bookstore. Done several book signings there, and uh, you know they're upfront about what's going on. So it's not like they're they are hiding something about what's what's you know how the arrangement works. It's just the publishing or traditionally publishing world is is you know it's all about big business. You know it's all about 
not necessarily the quality of your work. It's about whose work is going to sell. And if your work is selling, then we want it. And, you know, we can put you in, at a uh, major bookstore chain. You can bring out 200 people and, uh, you know, make our stock go up. But in the meantime, you know, we're not really concerned about putting food on your table because uh, it's not about you. It's about big business. And for mm-hmm. me, as a businessman as well, one of my degrees is an MBA with a concentration in information technology, so I understand quite a bit about business. Uh, me doing all the work and someone else and everyone else getting all of the uh, wonderful perks, you know, that, that that really didn't work well with me. That, that program wasn't for me. <laughs> right, right. Well, I've heard this story over and over and over again, so no well, one, surprise there. Yeah, once you figure out kind of the tricks of the trade, and I'm, I'm kind of a veteran now. I've, I've uh, I actually coach other um, upcoming authors on what to do and what not to do, and I enjoy that as well because mm. you know learn from mistakes because I didn't know anything coming into this. I was just a writer. I was not a book marketer, bookseller, you know, all that stuff, and kind of the, the celebrity status that kind of goes with that. And I wasn't. I, I knew nothing about how to deal with this, right? And I, I was just listening to lawyers and reading books. I had no experiences to draw from, but now it's quite the opposite. I don't, I don't read those uh, uh, how to how to market your book books anymore unless I know the person who wrote them, because uh, a lot of them are just capitalizing on um, eager eager writers and eager minds, uh, not mm-hmm. necessarily what's going to happen in reality. So. A uh, long-winded answer to your question is uh, I really wanted to do traditional publishing first because I thought that was the way to go to get on the bestsellers list, but uh, now I'm independent, much, much happier. So tell us a little bit about how your um, knowledge and technology as well has helped you to be able to um, take you know, the reins into your own hands and, and do what you do. And. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, here's what I'm going to say to anyone that's thinking of writing an uh, article or writing a book. Uh, you've got to have a platform to sell your work. You've got to have a reason or some credibility so people can look at you and say, oh, you know, I won't listen to him. Uh, that is why – so first it was a publisher's decision because at first I had written a, a very good – book, but it was more religious-based, uh, as I'm a Christian as well, and the publisher decided that, okay, this, this book is wonderful, it's magnificent, we're not going to put this book out because you're not marketable as a religious writer. You know, you are, you've are you done no seminary, you're not a minister, you're not a, a member of a big church, so we're going to put out the spy technology book first because, you know, you're marketable. And I said, well, that's not the book I want to put out. I want to put out the religious book, the spiritual book. And they said, they, they vetoed that. They said, no, that's not going to sell because, you know, you're not marketable as a as a writer. So with the technology, I was able to implement that, obviously, into the book. And since I've won so many awards and already renowned consultant in the industry, um, that was my platform, right? I used my background technology, the awards I've won, to garner, generate a platform that helps sell the book. So now, you know, as a bestseller author, I realized that they were right because if I had come out with the book, even though it was great, it wouldn't have sold. Barnes & Noble wouldn't have put it on their shelf simply because they would have looked at, looked at the author and said, well, well who is this? He does, he's not a 
the pastor of a mega church of 30,000 members. You know, he's not world-renowned as a, you know, religious consultant. So, we're, you know, that is the major thing that, that most folks don't realize when entering into the world of an author. Mm-hmm. So write about what you're passionate about, what you know about, and what others are going to seek from you. Because most people buy books not just for entertainment, but it's a topic that they're interested in and they want to learn in some way. And if you can provide that, if you can provide not only a riveting story, but pull them deeper. So in short, you have to shatter the genre. Bring something new and bring something different. Bring some knowledge and contribute to the art form. Make yourself different, and that will be your platform. So I, I do that to answer your question, right, by bringing in my real-life experiences, um, which are a lot more than what Hollywood is doing, right? They have writers and so-called consultants, but no one who's actually done these things, no one who's actually been on the front end, no one who actually has, you know, been in the trenches with the technology and helped and worked on these projects and been a part of this uh, society and could actually write a book and get out there and, and create a story that could keep you on edge of your seat from page one to the finish. And, um, you know, the most curious thing for me is how do you write about something that you know so much about and walk this thin line between um, the secrets you are bound to keep and, and what's needed in the story? A lot of it is common sense simply because, right, you don't want to put anything out there that's going to put American lives in in danger, right? Um, The other part is, as a spy novel reader, I understand what what makes readers tick, right? What makes Mm -hmm. action readers tick? Um, Sometimes you have to let others read it and make sure that, um, you know, you're not going too far over the edge or putting too much out there. But the good news is, is since the media kind of waters things down, doesn't really put the whole truth out there because they don't want everyone asking a bunch of questions, 99.9% of folks who read the book, you know, are going to be in a different world. So fortunately, Mm. I've run into the problem where, Something was in there that wasn't supposed to be in there. So I'm pretty careful, but fortunately for what I'm doing, since most folks are in the dark, uh, me me just turning on the the uh, few megawatt bulbs really shine bring a bring an understanding and a new level of understanding to what most folks don't even you know think is real, such as spies and uh, so when the FBI caught the uh, Russian spies that were planted over here, uh, you know, for a while to sleep with high-level officials, influence of foreign policy, steal information, et cetera, et cetera, people were, were kind of like, wait a minute, that actually happens? That's real? I mean, mm-hmm. I thought Anthony Howard was just writing stuff, but he actually knows what he's talking about, and exactly what he said happened, happened. I mean, exactly what he said would happen, happened. So when you understand the technology, uh, there are very little surprises. I guess is what my point is. Right, right. And um, we're going to take a a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk with you more about 
your your book and also um we'll ask you a question about it if there's anything in the works for a possible film as well but we'll be right back after this hi i'm michael fordham host of a measure of truth on blogtalkradio.com and i want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and yes believe it or not communities just like yours Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. And we're talking with Anthony R. Howard, the author of The Invisible Enemy. Welcome back, Anthony. Thank you. You know, um, I wanted to ask you about whether or not, because, you know, when art imitates life and vice versa, it's a great opportunity for for film. Have you thought about that? For this so there are project? some. So you're right. So the trailer is already up on my website, nprhoward.com, uh, mm-hmm. and right now, I'll say it's a conceptual trailer because there were some producers that were definitely interested. Mm-hmm. However, I'm I'm being selective simply because the technology is so overwhelming and it includes things that Hollywood hasn't even put into action yet. I oh. mean, if you. Oh, Terminator and those type of things had technology. I mean, this is way beyond that. So this type of technology I'm talking about hasn't even been on in Hollywood before. Mm. So you need some. I need a producer and you know a director who can really bring these technologies to life in a way 
that they'll make sense. Um, the book is really powerful, and it, and it deviates from traditional producers in Hollywood. So, for instance, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, 24, but in the blogs and and online, they compare my book to the hit show 24 with uh, Kiefer Sutherland and wow. uh, is Jack Bauer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things 24 does, they, they keep the action moving, which I do, but, you know, in the world of Hollywood, they generally don't take time out to explain how real technology works. I mean, it's very complex in some cases, and, and many mm-hmm. TV movie watchers would get lost. So in turn, Hollywood makes up you know fake technologies, false terms, and tech words and phrases that don't mean anything. Uh, but just to simplify things, and I don't do that. I explain the technology in a way that the readers can enjoy and how espionage works, and the reader can decide whether technology is, is good or evil. Um, and then... Producers also, they create a star, and then they make that star immortal. So you begin each show or each movie knowing that the star is not going to die, and that's not how real life works. I mean, heroes, there are a lot of heroes in a graveyard. Um, In Hollywood, you know, you watch the hero go against hundreds of armed mercenaries with their lone pistol, and and he always wins. Um, And the invisible enemy a character you might think is the main character will die, can die. I mean, anything can happen. I mean, I want the reader on the edge of their seat at all times. My plots are purposely unpredictable. I want the reader engaged to the very last page. I don't even want the, well, okay, I know he survived, but I just want to see how type of environment. I mean, I don't even use the typical Hollywood model of protagonists versus antagonists. Right? It's not good versus bad because sometimes there are no good guys. Um, the lines of war games are completely blurred. So without knowing it, you know, the reader will align themselves with a character they once perceived as an antagonist, uh, you know, a bad guy. So to to bring all those things and especially uh, to eliminate the bounded rationality theory, a bounded rationality is kind of a, uh, it's a behavioral theory term, which basically means the human brain will only process what it understands. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is not how real life works. So in real life, if a weapon or technology isn't known by a country, that doesn't make the technology not real. It doesn't make the, the you know the weapon not real. So in the movies, they can't present a weapon or a technology that they know you understand because you, you might get lost or you might it won't make sense to you. So I can break Hollywood's rules, and I need a producer that can break all of Hollywood's rules. That's that's been a kind of a journey. You know, I want. I don't want the same stereotypical characters. I want, you know, I, I, de- I develop mysterious, intriguing, non-stereotypical characters. Uh, in Hollywood, it, as we all know, they, they kind of create stereotypical characters to keep things easy and keep um, things following the same. So uh, it's been a journey, but I have not selected a producer yet. Uh, I am talking to a few of them. Uh, but the trailer is up. Yeah, and I've seen the trailer, and one of the things in the trailers I'm just intrigued by is this um, holographic wireframe um, graphic user interface that someone's using in the field. Is that real? That is real. That is real. Matter of fact, um, (laughs) it's going to be a civilian version of that uh, in the next few years, and the company working on it. You know, not surprisingly, right, they're still working out some glitches, but there's actually going to be um, – that's going to be to the market sooner than you think. Really? It's, oh, that's uh, crazy. 
Yeah, there's a lot of revolutionary technology that uh, is in the book that will be out, and you're gonna, and, you know, you're already gonna be up on it because you, uh, <laughs> you know, deep in it, you're gonna say, "Wow, you know, this is um, there's a lot out there, a lot of good stuff out there, a lot of dangerous stuff out there." But um, obviously, before when technology is developed, they're in testing phases, and you know, the government acts, acts you know, we know that they have access to weapons and other things that civilians don't. So by the time it gets to the market, I mean, it's, it's, it's been around for a few. So right, exactly. Put you right to where, you know, you can taste the emerging technology and things you never heard of and you want to Google it no more and you'll, you'll, you'll say, wow, this exists. When is this going to come out? Right. So you're saying that most of these things, you give enough detail in the novel that people can actually um, find references on the Internet and, and really understand that not only is this real and it makes um, pertinent sense in the story, but, you know, you can watch these things develop and actually come to the market as well. Absolutely. So the the Invisible Enemy Black Fox, the first book, Black Fox is a stealth technology that actually exists. Um, mm. A secret weapon in the book is also Atlas, the atomic vapor laser isotope separation technology. And uh, that's a fancy way of saying it's a secret technology that's, can create weapon, uh, weapons-grade uranium for, for WMDs. That's how North Korea did what they did. They, they had, you know, how did they pop up with weapons of mass destruction and no one knew about it, right? They had that top-secret technology. Mm. So, you know, writing about it is, is very serious and it exists. And, you know, obviously that top-secret more because North Korea was, already, was all over the news, but that's how they did what they did. Uh, for so long with no one finding out about us, how they popped up and said, hey, we are a nuclear power uh, right. because of technologies like these. So it is a very interesting, very riveting, serious business. Wow, that's awesome. And um, before we get too far into it, we want to go ahead and, and just let people know, too, how they can find you and how they can buy the book and, you know, why don't you put your information out there? So easiest way to find me is uh, Anthony R. Howard. Dot com. Again, that's AnthonyRHoward.com. Please don't forget the R and uh, AnthonyRHoward.com. And then for those of you who have, uh, like, e-books, you know, with the Kindle and the Nook and the e-reader, uh, you can also go on Amazon, just do a search for The Invisible Enemy, Black Fox, do a search for Anthony R. Howard. Um, all my books will come right up. Uh, Barnes and Noble, you can get it from your favorite bookstore, Barnes & Nobles, uh, Amazon, uh, borders, if there's still uh, still any left uh, around, uh, still a few borders out here. Uh, and then also, you can get it from um, most independent bookstores are going to have as well. So the the best place again is AnthonyRHoward.com because we're always in stock. And then Amazon does a pretty good job of stocking and uh, eBooks there as well. And then, again, Barnes & Noble will almost for sure have because uh, I do a lot of events with them. Right, right. Now, you're just not an author full-time now. You still have your IT company as well, right? Definitely. So I'm, I'm actually – I work full-time, and I work for a private firm who, who does a lot of work with the Department of Defense. So uh, I do private consulting, but full-time I work for a private company that does um, a lot of work with the Department of Defense, and I like that because I'm very passionate about technology. So mm -hmm. technology, you know, 
take extremely seriously, and they help me help keep me on my toes as a writer. Right, I'm always right. on the edge, and I know what's going on in real world solutions. So uh, it's I'm just happy to be. You know, my two passions are technology and writing, and I'm I'm happy to be writing about technology. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're also you are a securities expert, correct? In IT. Yep. Um, I wouldn't call myself a just a security expert. I'm more of a solutions expert. So yeah. they will customer c- companies come to me and and tell me their problem, and I tell them how to fix. It. So, for instance, if a uh, search engine came to me and said, I want to be the fastest search engine in the world. And that this actually happened. And I made that happen. Wow. Uh, somebody came to me, one company came to me and said, because of what happened in New Orleans with Katrina, I'm worried that if my data ever gets work, wiped out, I'll be out of business. So I need you to fix that. I need something mm-hmm. that, that will, in case of a disaster, we need to be up and running before the day is out. So I made that happen. So mm-hmm. not just securities, right? I'm really all over the place with uh, data center, create design, project design, army simulation, uh, servers, storage, uh, networking. So a wide, diverse um, arena. So not just securities. But though I am a securities guy as well, it's not just that. I actually do a whole bunch still. Wow. <laughs> Very impressive. Very impressive stuff. And you know, I, I'm a, a bona fide geek, you know, I hide behind this um this radio thing, but um I built my first computer in nineteen ninety six and I've been hooked ever since. And, um, you know, just to hear about this. And, and, you know, what's very interesting, Anthony, is that I've met a lot of IT people, but they generally aren't very creative, but they follow directions very well. And, they you know, they do figure out things very well. But you're on a totally different spectrum by being a writer and being creative as well. Um, that That's very interesting. Do you find that as well to be the case uh, with most people ooh, who are in the I, industry? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, most of the folks I work with are technical folks, and a lot of them, though very brilliant, are simply introverts. So right. even if they did write a book or write an article, they could never appear at a book signing and interact with 200 people that they've never met before. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would, you know, they would go break down somewhere. I mean, it just it just couldn't happen. Um, a lot of technologists are introverts, so you know, that kind of makes kind of makes i guess uh make, i guess makes my stock go up in the in the off the market because not only can I write something I actually know what I'm talking about and then have the business acumen and then the ability to go out and and create something that the audience will love and keep coming back and and getting more of and you know I don't take writing lightly, right, because mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do is pick up a book I don't like and have wasted my time, get to the end of the book, and be disappointed. So I mm-hmm. pull you in from page one. Right? Uh, I, I'm not Tom Clancy or, you know, Danielle Steele where I, I have yeah. 100 pages <laughs> build the story, right? I, I right. need to pop right off, especially now in mm-hmm. the ebook page where folks download the first chapter for free and, right. and their book based on that first chapter. You better have something to say in the first chapter. Right. <laughs> That's it. And you know what? The first chapter is the hook. So, 
if you can't I get, get them with that, yeah, you, if you can't get them with that, you know, they won't download it. So yeah, that's very important. Yeah, um, got to make it, got to make it work. Um, it's just yeah. it's been an interesting journey. Um, learned a lot, and you know, and I even, you know, like I was telling you before, coach other authors into you know the way dynamics work in America, right? Because you got all sorts of folks, and you know, race matters, and who you are matters, credentials matter, uh, what's on the cover, who's on your cover matters. All these things that have nothing to do with the writing, mm. right? And they, these are things that I didn't know. Certainly, know going into the to the uh, to the fold. So, for instance, you know, traditionally, um, African American fiction writers have faced really kind of a glass ceiling, right? Uh, we're held really inside of a box with three sides: urban drama and gospel, and that's it. Wow. So coming to shot, trying to shattering that box, which before I said, you know, shatter the genre, you know, has really been an adventure. So if you look at the cover of the book, I mean, you really can't tell 100% what's going on. The cover, the image on the cover represents a certain powerful character in the novel. And mm-hmm. if you know the age, not only is it different, but he almost looks too young to be holding a gun, especially with the, the amount of solidarity and difference portrayed in the image. So that particular character is extremely special, uh, shrouded in mystique, and you know, one of the characters the reader becomes connected to once the doors open. And it just so happens that you know he looks young, uh, not necessarily African American, and, and really he's not even really American. I don't want to give away more than that, but. Um, it's still a book that everyone can identify with because of several of the adult deep themes, uh, specifically about, you know, what's going on in our country, our race, but it's a book that anyone can pick up and enjoy. So if I could help bridge the gap between, right, black fiction and fiction, other upcoming writers, no matter, you know, what their race is, will have a, a better exposure, a larger market to present their work to, and a greater platform become successful. So that's also been another journey is, Right, you don't want to be held to a certain category. You want your work to appeal to everyone. You want everyone to be able to enjoy and take away something and learn something. So that's that's also kind of a what I learned in the journey. And my my final question is, Anthony, will this um, invisible enemy be a trilogy, or is it going to end with Vendetta? It is not going to end with Vendetta. Uh, there are some more projects in the work um, trying to decide whether you know whether I should hold on the, on the third book uh, till just before the movie or how to work that. But mm. it, it will not end with Vendetta. But you will have you will be the reader will be in a comfortable place after Vendetta. Uh, are going to be happy. They're going to be fulfilled. <laughs> wouldn't be an author if they didn't want a little bit more. They weren't just a little bit curious of what's going to happen, you know, to the different characters, um, you know, as I, as I resolve things. So we are, we are still, we are not done. Wow. Well, I just have to thank you, Anthony R. Howard. Thank you for, for joining us today and sharing and, 
I'm telling you, I can't wait to, to get the book. I want a copy of it in hardback, but I think I'll have to download it as well. I just can't wait to to really dig into it. And, um, you know, after I just told you I finished the series um, and um, I, I'm, I have a taste for some more espionage now. And, um, you know, the more real, um, the better. So that's pretty awesome stuff for me. Yeah, look, so this week it's actually on Amazon if you have an ebook for only uh 2.99. So I want all your your listeners to be able to grab it if they want to grab it uh and not have to spend a, a you know, whole lot of pennies doing so. So if you got uh about $3, uh, I want you to enjoy the entire the entire book on your Kindle or on your Nook or what have you. So uh I hope um Everyone out there who wants to learn about uh, what's going on behind the scenes, and uh, please, please let me know what you think on AnthonyRHoward.com. Will do. Well, thank you again, Anthony, and um, hope to hear from you again soon. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, me too. Me too as well. So I, I'll be waiting for the invite, Mike. All right, then. Thanks a lot. We'll talk with you then. Take care. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here. And I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. 
Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.